All right, I like that, interactive. Thanks for the feedback. I don't usually get that. Appreciate that. Um, glad you're here. We're in a message series titled Stars. And we're looking at different ways that God used stars to communicate to us and to communicate people in the Scripture different things. Next week, we're going to look at how God used a star to help some kings navigate to uh, where Jesus was to worship him. This week, we're looking at how stars can remind us that God is everything we need. Sometime in the near or distant future, we're not sure when, God hasn't clued us in on the timing, God is going to wrap up history. Jesus is going to return, and the stars are going to go away. We're not going to need them anymore. So the day is coming when we'll find ourselves in the presence of God, and he's going to give us a full revelation of himself. From that day on, we won't need the light of the stars. God himself is going to be the light. Jesus, his son, is going to be the light. He will be, and he's going to provide all that we need and more. It's going to be amazing. We're going to look at what the Bible says about heaven today. We're going to dig in and pull out some things. We're going to look at a fairly lengthy, big chunk of Scripture and dig out of it what we can know about heaven based on what that passage says. Have you spent much time thinking about heaven? The older I get, the more I think about it. The more I have people that I love move on into eternity and, and get to heaven, the more I wonder about it. What is your picture of heaven? What, what comes to mind when you think about heaven? Here are some video interviews that were put together. Wide range of views about heaven, but just a random collection of people who are going to share their, their perspective. Is heaven real? Sure, hope so. My personal opinion is that we just rot in the ground. Nothing happens. You die, and that's it. I don't really believe in afterlife or heaven. I'm guessing that it's, you go to some different level of, you know, group consciousness or something like that. Yeah, I don't know if I think that it's a an actual place or if I think that it's a state of mind. Kind of, can I imagine it to be like this, like Zen mode? It's just your soul that goes up to heaven. I think if you haven't done your life's deeds, they reincarnate you. And I think if I think sometimes if you're in purgatory, you get reincarnated. If you're in hell, you just you messed up. Now there is another side of me that would love to believe that there's a place that you can go, um, like a heaven. But unfortunately, um, without any reason to believe that, other than you know religion or, or something like that, you know it's it's hard to to take a bite of that and believe it. Kind of imagine it as a paradise, um, where you can eat ice cream all day. Picture it with these big gates and on a cloud and everyone in their togas and harps and you know it's amazing you know there's pretty women everywhere so i always picture like heaven as like thanksgiving dinner with all your family but then you get to have jesus sitting at the table too eating if i believe that he is who he says he is heaven is an unbelievable place my grandest hope 
for heaven, I think, would be, A, that I was there. <laughs> I mean, look, I'm selfish. I'm selfish that way. A, that I'm there. Uh, B, that this life wasn't for nothing. And it kind of comes down to me not really even knowing what to expect. I hope that I go there. There has to be something, something more. But I think the most important thing you can ever admit to yourself is that you uh, really don't know anything for sure, right? Many people are like the last guy, not quite sure what you can know about spiritual things. But as we talk about heaven today, and we're, we're going to focus on it, listen with your soul. Because God, the Bible says, has placed eternity in our hearts. We all think about heaven. People have a wide range of views, what they think about it. It's interesting, I went and got the paper this morning, the L.A. Times, and this, this ad was wrapped around the front page. And it's uh, an ad about uh, a Chinese group, uh, Performing Arts, and the endorsement for the Performing Arts performance is... If heaven is the way, this is big, big statement. If heaven is the way we saw it tonight, count me in. That was a quote from a filmmaker. And I, I read that and I thought, count me in either way. <laughs> I want either way, whether it's like he saw that night or not, I want to be in because I've heard about the alternative. And I know I don't want to go there. I do not. So count me in either way. But, the Bible uses symbols and uh, sort of language to communicate what heaven's like. That's really uh, it, it, it's it's unexpressible, really. But the symbols for heaven and what it's going to be like, if you take them literally, it can be very confusing. For instance, harps and choirs are not appealing to most people. Um, I don't have any harp music on my iPod. I don't. I have no MP3s of harp music. I just don't. I'm not a real fan. I can appreciate what it takes to play the harp. I've seen people play the harp, and it's amazing. That's amazing. But most people, that doesn't appeal to them. But in one period of time, it was appealing. I had a conversation with a gal in her 20s on an airplane one time, and she was from the Mormon faith. Her dad was a Mormon bishop. And she asked me, what do you think you will do in heaven? Because singing in a choir and playing a harp really doesn't sound that great to me. And I said, well, I'm not completely sure what I'll be doing, but I know that I'll be serving God. It will be interesting and very fulfilling, completely so. And she said, that's just not enough for me. And I tried to find a way out of the plane when she said that. <laughs> that I mean, with my understanding of God, uh, I, I wanted to get out of there. But she said, that's just not enough for me because I want to rule something. I want to be in charge. And then the con conversation continued. But whatever we do in heaven is going to be interesting and fulfilling. And we're going to dig into an entire passage of Scripture 
and find out what the, the Bible says about heaven and get some clues as to what we're going to be doing there. So here it is, heaven. We're going to read through all of Revelation 21 and the first few verses of Revelation 22. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Now, the picture you get of heaven in movies many times, it's in a fog bank. You're like, you're in the, you're in the clouds, you're in a fog bank, it's kind of, you know, you can't really see through the, the clouds very clearly, and usually there's some gates and somebody's standing there and there's a conversation that goes on. Anyway, that's, that, that's not the Bible's picture of heaven. It's a new heaven and a new earth. It's real. It's something real. God's doing a makeover. He's remaking the first heaven and the first earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This is a reference to uh, the church, the city and the bride both are a reference to the church, to the people of God, to those who have decided to trust and follow Christ throughout all the centuries of life on earth. And it's not referring to a city like Diamond Bar with signs and streets and curbs and gutters and trees and medians down the middle of the road with, and parkways, but it's, it's talking about a community. A community with the best relationships Ever. Think about your best relational experience. Best one you've ever had. Take that times a hundred, and that's what heaven's going to be like. It's going to be incredible. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them. And be their God. There is no place on earth, Scripture says, that you can get away from the presence of God. But in heaven, his presence is going to be more tangible. Like when Jesus walked the earth. Like the guy who said, I imagine heaven's like Thanksgiving dinner. Except Jesus is sitting at the table. That's, it's that, that's, the presence of God is going to be more tangible. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the older order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Doing a makeover again, you see. He's he's remaking. Everything's going to be new. Because we talked in the first couple messages of this series how first man and woman made a decision to walk away from God, and that caused themselves and all of creation and ourselves as well to fall, to not, to not be what God originally created us to be. So he, from that moment that the first man and woman decided to rebel against God, God has been working to redeem and restore people and the creation that he made. He's been working to to put it back together, and he's made provision for this. And the interesting thing about the passage is here, one of our first needs as human beings is to be comforted. Babies born starts crying. They need comfort. In heaven, we won't need it. We'll have it. it. It will be ours. He said to me, 
It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, and the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and the liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. That's why I said count me in either way <laughs> when I read that this morning. Either way, count me in. I want to be in heaven. Because there is another place, Scripture says, called hell. And God gives us a choice. If you never choose to turn around from going your own way and go God's way, he will let you keep going your own way, and he honors your decision to go your own way on through eternity. That's the perspective you get in Scripture. This passage lists some lifestyles that are characteristic of unbelievers. Once you decide to follow Christ, you struggle with sin. It's a battle. It's an all-out war. But those lifestyles no longer character, characterize you. The patterns, those, those are not patterns. You struggle with sin, but Jesus wants to give us victory as we walk away from those. When you admit your sin, trust in Christ, decide to follow him, God forgives you. He purifies you from all sin. And when he does that, he's meeting our deepest need, the need for forgiveness. Because our sin is what separates us from him. Without being purified, we'll see as we walk through this passage, we can't get into heaven. Because we would taint it. We would, we would mess it up. And so he had to make a way to cleanse us from our sin so that when we live on with him in eternity, we don't mess things up. Because any sin in us is like a seed that's going to grow. And so he had to deal with it. There's no talk of mansions in hell. No dwelling places because there's no protection. There's no talk of white robes because... All that individuals in hell will know is remorse and shame and guilt. There is also no talk of rivers and glittery stuff, because it's a very dark and static existence. We don't want that. Let's move on. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls is full of the seven last plagues. He came and said to me, Come and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. This is another reference to the church. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Remember, this, this is describing a city, but it's a city... That's a community of believers throughout all time on earth. And the glitter of the jewels, the brilliance of the jewels and the crystal represent that we are a treasure to God. In heaven, he purifies us and he makes us shine like an amazing treasure. We are highly valued by him. That's why he went to the links he went to to reconnect us to him when we decided to disobey. 
and rebelled, it separated us from him. He went to greatly, he paid a very high price for our salvation. It speaks to our value. And you see this in heaven. We're, we're going to be a moral treasure that God himself has created through the work that he's done. He goes on to describe some details of the city. It had great it had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, three on the west. The wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Walls and gates and foundations tell us that heaven is going to be safe and secure. We're not going to have to worry about an enemy coming in to attack or the foundation giving away. It's all very secure. The angel who talked with me had a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gate and its walls. The city was laid out like a square as long as it was wide. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. 1,400 miles, 12,000 stadia is 1,400 miles, so 1,400 by 1,400 it's, it's a million nine hundred and sixty thousand square feet, or square miles, not feet, square miles. What, what this is telling us, there's plenty of room for everybody. <laughs> That's why they're trying to communicate. Everybody who wants to be there can go there. It's not an exclusive club. It's open to everyone. It's for all. Um, he measured its wall, and it was 144 cubits thick, which is 200 feet. By man's measurement, which the angel was using, the wall was made of jasper and the city of pure gold, as pure as glass. Let's move on. The foundations of the city walls were decorated with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, and I'm not vouching. Hopefully you're not going to give me a test on, on pronouncing the names of these stones, um, because... Honestly, I forgot to look it up before I got up here. So, um, anyway, first foundation was jasper, second sapphire, third chalcedony. This is where I'm starting to get in trouble. Emerald was the fourth, the fifth sardonyx, I think that's right, sixth carnelian, seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, the ninth topaz, the tenth chrysoprase, the eleventh jacinth, jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. I ran into trouble, but I think I got most of them close to right. The, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. This is where we get the pearly gates. Each gate was made uh, of a single pearl. That's how, that's how the resources are in heaven. The great street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. In a place where the foundations and the gates and the streets are made of priceless things in our world, it tells you there is no end to the resources in heaven. No end. There is plenty for everyone. All of our needs are going to be met and more. Verse 22 says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it. This is why God needed to clean, clean us up. 
purifieth. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You get your name written in that book the moment you trust Christ with your life. You admit your sin, you repent of it, and you give your life to Jesus Christ. That's what you find out in the rest of Scripture. A temple is a place on earth where you go to meet God. There will be no need for a temple in heaven because God is going to fill every square inch of it. He's going to be there. John says, we'll see his face. We'll we'll see the face of God. This was a phrase used in John's day, uh, and it meant more than just getting a glimpse. I was amazed at the, the wedding of Prince William and Kate in England, how many people, they lined the streets just to get a glimpse of the royal couple, just to get a glimpse. And that's, that's what people do. But this phrase, see the face of God, it means that you're granted an audience with him, that you'll be near him, that you'll get to know him, that you'll be able to enjoy some time with the king, with the God who made us. We're going to do that. You're going to do that. Verse 1 of 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree that uh, are for the healing of the nations. And we, we won't need healing, but these are health-giving, so we don't need to be healed. They're therapeutic, like going to the spa sort of heals you. That's what those leaves are. And this isn't a menu that we're having here. The idea is that you and I, those who have trusted Christ, we will have everything we need. We will be completely fulfilled. In heaven. No longer, verse 3 says, no longer will there be any curse, a reference to forgiveness, the curse of sin that we all live with, that the creation struggles with. It's going to be removed. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. Sounds like an amazing place, doesn't it? Pretty incredible what we have. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at how the hope of heaven intersects with our everyday lives. Um, We're going to dig in a little further and find out that we can look forward to joy in heaven. Joy and happiness is at the top of our list for things we want in life. Everything else that we desire and everything else we do is an attempt to arrive there, to get joy and happiness. Even the mean, despicable, evil things that people do are a twisted approach to being happy. That's our goal. In heaven, Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe every tear from their eyes. One guy pointed out, we won't need tear ducts in heaven. They're going to be gone. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. 
There is a point in all of our lives, and I don't know if you've reached it yet, but there's a point in all of our lives where we reach, we reach it and we realize some of the pains that we have tasted here will not be healed this side of heaven. There are, there are pains, there are wounds, there are hurts, there are things we just live with. You can read books on grief, you can go to support groups, you can choose a positive attitude, but there are some hurts that aren't going to subside, and they ebb and flow, the ache from the pain and the hurt, it ebbs and flows, but it's not going to disappear until the day you die. That's why it's important to know what Revelation 21.4 tells us. The promise of heaven shapes today's perspective. The, the promise we have, if you're walking with the Lord Jesus and you're, you're uh, connected to him, that promise should shape the way we live today. Paul said this in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In this world, people suffer. War, famine, loss, cancer, pain, death. Those are just some of the sufferings of this present time. Paul, who wrote that passage, who wrote that verse, he knew pain and suffering. In another place, 2 Corinthians 1, he starts listing what he'd been through. He'd been beaten, he'd been stoned, he'd been whipped, he had been imprisoned, shipwrecked, he'd been left for dead more than once by people trying to take him out. And then he says, those are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Make a list of your present sufferings, either a mental note, a mental list, or write, write down just a, a list as you're taking notes. Just think about this. What are your present sufferings, the things that you're going through? What is causing you the most pain? Bring that to mind. Maybe it's a loss a difficult relationship, a, a deep disappointment, some kind of frustration about what's going on. The hope of the Bible is not that you get a free pass from suffering. That's not the hope of the Scripture. The hope the Bible gives is that he's going to use the pain and suffering that you're going through now and turn it into a treasure of jewels. In eternity. We just read about this. He, he's going to work things in you and use them for your good and make you a different person. The promise of heaven shapes today's perspective. If we trust God to use our pain and, and we set our heart on his purpose and continue to trust and follow him, we can look forward to dominion in heaven. It's another thing we learned. Dominion is a word that means to bring things under control and make sure that they accomplish God's purpose. That's, or a purpose, but scripturally, God's purpose. So that's what it means when you get dominion over something, you subdue it. You bring it under control to, to fulfill God's purpose. This is what God, God wants. Here's, here's the answer to the question that lady asked me on the plane. Revelation 22, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. That's one thing we're going to do. We're going to serve God. 
and they will reign. It goes on with some other things. Then it closes, and they will reign forever and ever. You read that right. We're going to serve, and we're going to reign. If you think back, we talked about this a few weeks ago. If you think back to Genesis 1 through 3, God made men and women, and he put us in the world to get dominion over it, to rule the world, to manage it. We are co-regents with God. Of course, he's the king. We're serving him. We're doing what he wants. But we are co-regents with him in the world. It's one of the purposes he gave us. We have realms of responsibility. We're given a piece of this world, and God wants us to manage it. Our life is a stewardship that God has given us. A stewardship is something you're trusted with that you'll be held accountable for. And he's trusted us with life itself, with our family and our family relationships, with work, a work that we have to do, with a ministry, with friendships, with finances, and, and there's, there's a longer list. But we're trusted with these things. In, in Revelation 22, we find out that we're going to be given a slice of heaven to get dominion over, to manage and rule, to bring it into submission to accomplish God's purpose. And it's not going to be like it is here. Because creation itself, it's difficult, it's frustrating to do what God's given us to do here. Whoa, heap of hassles and problems. In heaven, everything is going to be working together for God's purpose and glory. And so it's not going to be the frustration that it is, but it's going to be interesting. In heaven, you'll get your real job. The job you have on earth is just training for that one. It's just a training ground for the job that you're given in heaven. We have a need here on earth. We need to learn and grow, and it's exhilarating when we do. We need to contribute and produce that's not going to stop. In heaven, we're still going to need to be productive, and God's going to help us to be so. Our gifts and our abilities, they're going to be fully realized. It's going to be amazing. I don't think we'll ever have a bad idea. You ever thrown out an idea to somebody, and you can tell by the look on their face or by their words, oh, that was a really bad idea. Well, in heaven, we'd never have a bad idea. I think that's going to be great, because I've got a lot of ideas that aren't the greatest. But that'll be fun, won't it? What all this means is our present faithfulness matters in heaven. It's going to matter in eternity. Jesus told a story about a master who leaves different amounts of money with different slaves. And he, he goes away and he comes back. And this is a, a parable of the stewardship. And it's a parable of Jesus ascending to heaven and coming back to earth to check up on his servants, which that's those of us who are following him. And look at what he said to the servants who were faithful and multiplied the money. Matthew 25, 23 said this three times in this passage. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The master returns. At the end of history, we all are going to meet our master, and he rewards the faithful servant. 
he rewards him with more responsibility. He, he says, I'm going to put you in charge of many things. That's a picture of this reigning forever and ever. We're going to reign. We're going to get dominion. So what we're doing today and whether or not we're faithful in it has eternal ramifications, eternal dimensions. And God's looking over this, being faithful to him in what we're doing now really matters. Our present faithfulness matters in heaven. We can look forward to contentment there. Verse 1 and 2 of 22. The angel showed me the river, the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. In heaven, we'll have everything we need and more. Completely. It's hard to imagine we're going to be completely content. Because in this life, we want more. We want more money. We want more stuff. We want more beauty. We want more pleasure, more security. Whatever we have is, is not enough. Whatever we want, if we get it, it won't be enough. In and of itself, it will not be enough. When people who follow Christ get discontent, they're, they're tempted to bust through the boundaries that God's provided to find contentment on their own. Uh, if, if you haven't yet decided to follow Christ, you may be thinking, I don't really want to give up some of this stuff because I really enjoy it, and I know I probably will have to. You can't imagine a better way. In heaven... We will have everything we need and more, and the future provision promotes current sacrifice. Let me try to explain this. We tend to look for shortcuts to heaven, to happiness here on earth, and they end up costing us a great deal. Affairs are like that. Alcohol and drugs are like that. Stuff is like that. We wrap our heart around a new car or a computer, a new computer or a new electronic gadget or or whatever it is, a new house. And we're thinking, that's where happiness is found. But it's like a mirage. It goes away. Jesus asked this question. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? Another translation, lose or forfeit his very soul. What, what good is it? Because a few years here on earth are going to turn into millions in eternity. And it's a trade-off. We make a trade-off. Jesus says, don't make that trade. Don't do that. Live for eternal things. As tempting as it is to set your sight on temporary things, decide to live for what goes on forever. The perspective of the Bible is that what we can see isn't the most real. The spiritual dimension is the most real, like, like in The Matrix. Movies like The Matrix are made because there's something in us that we know something's, there's got to be more. There's got to be more behind what's going on in this world, and so they make movies like that. What we see and feel and touch right now is temporary. That's what you gain in the Scripture. Jesus tells us to live for eternal things. God is eternal. We live for him. That blesses us now and on through eternity. People are eternal. We serve them in a way that honors God. We aim to bless them. And 
on through eternity, it blesses us. God's word is eternal. We get into it. We grow in it. We learn it. And that helps us all the way on into eternal. Those things have eternal dimensions. And so it's important to realize that we live for the things that are going to be solid and light. Those foundations that were described in heaven, amazing. In heaven, we can look forward to God's presence, full revelation of him. The city does not need the sun, Revelation 21, 23. It doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamb is its lamp. Revelation 22, 5, there will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. There's no night in heaven. The gates to this city, they're always open. No loneliness. No fear of people attacking. You will be home with the Father, the God who made you. His presence will be tangible. Full revelation. You'll see the face of God. So the stars that will be no more, as we see them, they can remind us that God is everything we need right now, and he's preparing an eternity for us that's incredible. The power and energy contained in the stars, they tell us that the God who made them is able to do this. He, he is our hope, and our hope is in heaven, not in this life. Our hope is in heaven. If you're dealing with pain and suffering or grief of some kind, where is your hope? Where have you been placing your hope? Are you trying to work through it all yourself? Are you trusting yourself if you put your hope in yourself? Are, are you looking to someone or something else other than God to help you get through it? God wants to help you. God wants to, to help you walk through this. The promise of heaven shapes today's perspective. God can be trusted to use the pain and the suffering and what you're going through for a purpose, for his purpose, if you will put your hope in him and walk through the pain. Are you dragging in handling your responsibilities, your relationship, your role, the stewardship God has given you? Are you, are you weary? Your present faithfulness matters in heaven. On through eternity, it makes a difference. We're going to be rewarded there for our faithfulness here. Are you content? Is discontent, frustration causing you to look outside of God's boundaries for fulfillment? Future provision promotes current sacrifice. To summarize the words of Jesus, whatever price you have to pay to follow me is going to be worth it because you'll have an eternity that's going to be incredible. When we find ourselves in God's presence, full revelation, when we see him for who he is, everything is going to be right. All is going to be made right. On that day, we will need no exterior illumination. God's going to be our light. He's going to provide it. He will be everything we need. The stars can remind us of everything, that he is everything we need. At the end of the Narnia Chronicles, C.S. Lewis is trying to capture what heaven's going to be like. And it's the end of the earthly side of the story that he's writing and their life in heaven begins. And he doesn't write about it, but he makes this statement. The things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. 
And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all live happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. And now, at last, they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. He's trying to put into words what we can't express with words. But you get a glimpse of what it's going to be. As you get into scripture, as you, as you begin to ponder, it's going to be incredible. I'd like to wrap up the message today by asking you to think through your next steps. Um, I've given some suggestions. If you look at your connection cards in your program or if you pull that out, that'd be great. We're going to be receiving our offering in a few moments. And I'd like to ask you to finish completing information that you haven't had a chance to fill out or next steps as I walk through them. Here are some suggestions. First next step could be to replace my hope in blank. Maybe you've been putting your hope in something other than God. I want to put, replace my hope in, fill in the blank with the hope of heaven. Another step, for the first time, I accept Jesus as my Savior and I want to follow him as Lord. Maybe you've never decided to follow him, but you, you, you have had some questions. You're at the place now where you're ready to give your life to him and trust him with your life. Let us know. We'd love to encourage you in that. Um, there's also a place to let us know you're coming to the ornament exchange or just come. You don't need to let us know. Uh, we'd love to have you there. Or if you want to help with the family Christmas service, uh, there's a place to let us know that. If you're a first-time guest with us today, we are really glad you're here. We have a gift for you. Out on the taller table to the left of the double doors on your way out, there's a book called The Case for Christmas. Answers questions about Jesus' identity. I think you'll find it very helpful. But we'd love for you to pick that up and hope you enjoy it as you leave the ballroom this morning. As the band comes up, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth that we find in your word. And Father, we long for things to be right, to live in a place where we're complete and happy and joyful, content where you are, God, where you make everything right and new. You promise that to us. Help us to live for that, God. Help us not to trade the, the promise of eternal things for the temporary things we can see. But help us to say no to those so we can live for you and bring you honor and glory and find your blessing now and on through eternity in that. We ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.